Yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, and today, all the backup running backs smashed. Kyler put up 37 without a head coach. Daryl Henderson continues, continues to crush it. Vikings Panthers roller coaster, and we close the day off with Mac Jones and Dak Prescott. Fun day. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Why don't we start with that game that just ended, the Cowboys and the New England Patriots. In overtime, the Cowboys win 35-29. to Hayden, I don't know necessarily if the scoreboard, while entertaining and while completely back and forth, was a perfect indication for how this game should have gone because on the Cowboys end, even though, yes, they put up 35 points, they had an end zone interception, an end zone fumble, a block punt, a field field goal on fourth and one instead of going for it, and another sack fumble in this game. They left a lot of points out there, but I think this just highlights that it would be very, very difficult to name three people who are better at their jobs right now than Dak Prescott. Yep, Dak Prescott bails you out. And when you have CeeDee Lamb, who can win one-on-one coverage, which he did multiple times here to ice the game, that's what you can do. And then you have Ezekiel Elliott, another 17 carries, 69 yards. Got into the receiving game as well. Uh, Tony Pollard gets mixed in a lot, but a lot of it's actually just like on carries, and he gets occasional design stuff. But the two-minute drills, overtime, those situations, it's Zeke on the field, gets another seven catches in this one to lock him into the top five. But yeah, it's a very star-studded offense. Oh, yeah. Trayvon Diggs gets you some big plays when you need them. The head coaching is just all out of control, but it doesn't really matter. The Cowboys are a legit Super Bowl team because they have so many stars on both sides of the ball. I know we keep bringing up, you know, the first four games of last season, but I think it's really important because really that's all we have this group to compare to because I think we can throw away the rest of what happened in 2020. And last year it was like week one. You know, when Dak had to attempt 58 passes and try to, you know, convert 42 of them because you didn't have a good defense or singular players that can make a difference for you. So almost any one of these mistakes or failed attempts that happened would crumble those games because defense couldn't get stops. The defense did in this one. And what we're seeing and what we keep highlighting every single week is that the Cowboys beat you in so many different ways. I mean, look at the passing attempts just in the last four game winning streak, even before this game. 32 for Dak, 22, 26, and 27. Today he goes out there and goes 36 of 51 for 445, three touchdowns and an interception. He didn't have to do that each and every week. He pulls out of the bag some unreal touch passes down the field, intermediate and short as well. Again, dare I say, Dak Prescott is playing like a top three or top four quarterback in a loaded quarterback class this season. Drops back 51 times, gets sacked, zero. I mean, that's huge. That and a lot of that is yes, offensive line credit to the offense, offensive line. I'm sure, they did great when I watched go back and rewatch this. But a lot of that is, are you setting your projections correctly? Do you understand the defenses? Do you know when you're hot? Like all that type of stuff. Dak Prescott lights out. So this is an, a really cool game to see. There wasn't a lot of big chunk plays. It looks like from the box score, a lot of it is just like 20 yard plays here and there. Nothing like 50 yards downfield, and that's why they throw the ball so many times. That's where you get Zeke up to 17 carries. So yeah, this is, like you said, the Cowboys can beat you in 12 personnel and 11 personnel. They're going into the bye week. Maybe they'll get some defensive players back. Maybe they get Michael Gallup back. Uh, hopefully Tyron Smith checks out okay. I know that he was on the sideline here. But this is a very star-studded NFC contender because, largely because, 
Dak, Dak Prescott's like a top five, uh, fantasy, probably top five real life quarterback, borderline top five right. fantasy quarterback when they can get into these shootouts. He wasn't the only quarterback to shine though today. Mac Jones. Mac Jones, I believe, started 10 for 10 in this game, finished 15 of 21, 229, two touchdowns and interception. Now I know, you know, next to Dak's stats, it's about half of what he put out there. And while I mentioned, you know, a lot of lucky bounces going in their direction tonight. Hayden, I don't know how you can watch this game and not be impressed with what Mac Jones is is putting out there in terms of being in command, in terms of making some really difficult throws under duress, in terms of throwing a pick six, immediately bouncing back and hitting a great pass down the field for his own long touchdown of 75 yards. You're starting to stack successful drives, successful games here. And when you survey the entire league among rookie quarterbacks, that's a really positive sign here for the Patriots. Turns out spending four years with Nick Saban helps your football IQ. <laughs> and then getting with Josh McDaniels and, and Bill Belichick. Yeah, it's it's going to be the same story with Mac Jones. Mac Jones looks to be the most polished rookie quarterback, and he just needs to unlock the deep plays. And I think that some of that falls on him, and he definitely wants to take the check down. A lot of his uh, deeper throws are with more touch throws and like actual like rifled throws. And obviously that has a little bit of a, a ceiling, but I would also like them to have better wide receivers. Like yes. they don't get, they don't create that much separation. Like right now it's Jacoby Myers who had a decent game here, but the next re- leading receiver is Ramondre Stevenson, who I saw crawling uh, in the backfield trying to make a block. So like this is a very limited offense in general because there's a lot of injuries on the offensive line and their receivers are really bad. And it's basically just Jacoby Myers winning on like 10-yard in-breaking routes and a couple out-breaking routes, but nothing is downfield except this crazy Kendrick Bourne uh, perfectly uh, thrown ball by Mac Jones. But that's like basically it. They're not getting much from Nelson Aguilar at all. This has to be frustrating, and you know we communicate with Rudman all day, but they opened so nicely and like so much fun they put up 29 points here after you know putting up 25 and 17 and 13 the last few weeks so like you get a boost there but you mentioned the Ramondre Stevenson catches I mean he was using like down the seam out of the backfield like legit downfield stuff not just swing passes and and catching it and so it felt like Josh McDaniels was kind of doing some different and interesting things here they were running just a lot of counters to like create wide open lanes in the middle of the field for Damian Harris to run through and he was very successful today 18 carries 101 yards and a score with all that said like we are used to the patriots being well coached and be put in positions to succeed i don't think you can say that for like this entire season so far like maybe in points in this game you you absolutely could but it's such a different dynamic handling this pass catcher group with this shuffling of the offensive line, which they did throughout the game in terms of moving a win move from left tackle to right tackle, Heron and Isaiah win and all that stuff. Um, it's a difficult thing to evaluate, but it's again, a situation where we've just never seen this coaching staff in. So again, I think we are also learning about them on the fly, despite them winning for two decades in a row. The defense is still really well coached though. So I, yeah. to me, it's like a chicken or the egg situation is Josh McDaniels and Bill Bel- Belichick are they calling this very conservative offense because they don't have the weapons or is it the other way around? 
You know, like, I, I don't know if it's a coaching thing or a personnel thing. I'm leaning towards the personnel team. This team's just not very good. Like, look at their offense right now. Like, they're the guys that they gave all the money to. Johnny Smith, one catch for nine yards. Nelson Aguilar, one catch for 27 yards. Hunter Henry, I saw get in the end zone here, but only two catches for him, too. I mean, that's it. Their best player on offense, it's Jacoby Myers and, and Damian Harris and Hunter Henry. And, like, that's, yep. like, not explosiveness at all. Like, Damian Harris can get the job done for you, but he's not going to be ripping off too many massive runs. The same thing with Jacoby Myers. We love the dude, but he can't get into the freaking end zone. So I think it's a personnel thing more than a coaching thing. And I think that just the fact that Mac Jones is doing these, doing this with this personnel is at least you can see how he can become a Kirk cousins level quarterback, possibly even more than that. Like pretty soon, maybe within like the next year or two. Totally with you because that is to me, the most clear, indication that he can succeed was that this wasn't what they wanted to be. Like yes. they didn't want to allow him to open it up and go out there with three wide or one single tight end or have the running back run routes down the field. They wanted to be bullies. They wanted to power and they have had to adjust because that wasn't working for a multitude of reasons. And so Mac being able to learn that on the fly and sustaining, you know, competitive. And I understand that they're two and four, like they're not going to make the playoffs, but sustaining this type of a performance, that's a real positive. That's definitely we had in the chat. Someone mentioned Sway to Palms. Uh, I think Ramondre Stevenson's role increases the rest of the season. Let's talk about that for a moment because while, and we'll get to all the backup running backs that smash today, Hayden, it was a major difference in Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Once again, I feel like we talk about this a lot. We're going to talk about it on Tuesday, but 18 carries compared to five, you know, three catches for Ramondre just to one for Damian Harris. But I don't think that there has been any more of a clear sign that they still view Damian Harris as their top runner when he has twice fumbled the season for important goal line situations. And they keep putting him out there despite him not being 100%. And like the touch difference is monumental still. Yeah. Ramondre Stevenson hasn't been good. It would be one thing if like Damian Harris was like doing all these things. And then Ramondre Stevenson was like looking like an absolute stud. Coming into this game, he was like bottom three in PFF grade among running backs. He has, has his own fumbles. And if you're watching the game, Tony Romo himself said that Ramondre Stevenson is going to go in the doghouse for, for missing a, a blitz pickup. What he's, done, what he's done many times this year on not that many reps. So to me, I think this is going to be Damian Harris's uh, backfield. Ramondre Stevenson's a nice, explosive back, but there's a reason why he went to community college played one year basically with production at Oklahoma fell in the draft, despite being this big and this athletic. I think that there's some things like he doesn't have that much experience, like going out there and like learning the Belichick offense. Like it's going to take some time here. And I think it's a positive that it's even eight touches for him. You know, like when JJ Taylor isn't active and he's the one who is active and he's getting more touches than Brandon Bolden. And he's the second fiddle to Damian Harris. Like don't expect that to continue to increase each week. Like you're still getting eight or nine or 10 touches out of him. Uh, should we jump to the other four o'clock game? That was a massive, massive deal. It didn't end up being a great performance, but the Arizona Cardinals go out there without a head coach, without Rodney Hudson, without other coaches, without Chandler Jones, and win 37 to 14 over the Cleveland Browns. Now a Cleveland Browns team that was, you know, undermanned in terms of missing both their top tackles and a few other players. But Hayden, this statement this performance from kyler murray the defense the entire group of the cardinals to go out there and do this again with so much adversity this week to me is just a huge signal at six and oh it we should consider them as one of the best teams in the nfl but now we have to like they're forcing it down our throats 
this is a statement when in, in on the Sunday morning show, we talked about how this is a big game for Kyler Murray to see like where he is in the pecking order of like NFL quarterbacks, because he doesn't have his veteran center to fall back to. And he doesn't have his play caller uh, to fall back to either. And he goes out there four touchdowns, zero interceptions. So I, I think he's here. Like this is a massive statement win for Kyler Murray himself, for the Cardinals in general uh, of note of note that there was a ton of injuries on the Browns here. I'm sure we'll get to those, but this was a, a great performance from Kyler Murray to AJ Green, who had a nice one-on-one route for a touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins makes a couple of contested catches, two for touchdowns. Right. Christian Kirk is still playing over um, Rondale Moore, and then they get the ball to James Conner for 16 times still. So this is a, a very balanced offense. They can go. They can win in multiple ways, and uh, this is a huge, huge road game to go to six and out. And it was really one very early on. I mean, they got up 20 to nothing based on this sequence of drives. I mean, on the first drive, Browns go three and out. Touchdown after nine plays for the Cardinals. Browns turned over on downs after Baker Mayfield gets sacked once again on fourth down. Touchdown again for the Arizona Cardinals on 11 plays. Then a fumble on the next drive by Baker Mayfield after he gets sacked. Then a field goal. Then another interception by Baker Mayfield, who just completely airmails his receiver. And then a field goal. So you're up 20 to nothing. After the first four drives of the of the game, and then it's it's sealed from there. Like Kyler didn't even have to play the entire fourth quarter, and I don't know what I have to do to shift my brain, Hayden, because I continue to think like, okay, the defense doesn't have name brand cornerbacks. Like you know, it's JJ Watt out there by himself right now, trying to rush the passer, and I guess Marcus Golden. What do they have to do? Well. What they did was keep this Browns offense really just to seven points because outside of a Hail Mary 57-yard pass, the Browns put up seven points. That's a stunning performance, a stunning development from the Cardinals. And they got to rest their guys. And they're complete. They really are complete in a lot of different ways. And we get to see them moving forward with Zach Ertz in the lineup too. So it's a little added juice possibly as well. Big takeaways for the Browns, when you have this many injuries, you do need to adjust your expectations. Both starting tackles were out here. Then you have Baker Mayfield kind of uh, land on his shoulder pretty awkwardly after the game. Uh, he said that his, his shoulder, quote-unquote, feels like shit, and that he'll play through it on <laughs> Thursday. Uh, keep in mind, the, the Browns play on Thursday night this week. So their, their tackles are hurt. Baker Mayfield's yep. banged up. Odell Beckham, he also had an injury to one of his shoulders, shoulder. the other shoulder. He came back in. And then Kareem Hunt has that non-contact calf injury. To me, that looked like an injury that's going to put him out, uh, I mean, I hope just a couple weeks, but it looks like he can easily go to injured reserve. He was crying. He was very upset about his injuries too. So we don't know if, if Nick Chubb is going to come back next week. I would guess no because he didn't practice at all next week. So I think that my attention's turning to Ernest Johnson – and Demetric Felton, the two running backs. So these are going to be the hot waiver names. And Dearness Johnson's played 20 snaps at running back this year. Felton's played two. So I think that Felton's going to be more involved and probably catch some passes. But I think that Dearness Johnson yeah. is my bet to lead the running backs uh, going into week seven. If Nick Chubb doesn't play. Yes, not not practicing. And then this is another calf injury. Like These calf injuries suck. Yeah. Mike Trout didn't come back for like six six months. Uh, freaking Michael Gallup, all these guys. I don't know who Mike Trout is, uh, but if Nick Chubb is out there, Hayden, he like is a running back oh, top five yeah. rank as we move on for the rest of the season. Dalvin I mean, Cook is it is Dalvin Cook. 
It is Dalvin Cook. Let's hit in a few names there that you mentioned, though. And I think this is the concern with the Browns at this moment. I mean, obviously, we saw last week that so much of their passing game went through David Njoku. And then David Njoku is just completely invisible here for one reception and six yards. Meanwhile, like Odell Beckham certainly had major flashes once again, but then he exits for like a quarter at a time and they really lack some explosive elements. Um, he is clearly their best wide receiver. Now, that's not to say we aren't seeing the emergence of Donovan Peoples-Jones, who catches four or five targets for 177 yards and two scores. Again, I will mention that 57 of those yards was on this Hail Mary, uh, which was so poorly defended. I don't understand why you have three defenders closer to the line of scrimmage who are chasing the ball while it's in the air, but that's what happened. But he has shown some development in terms of catching a pass, turning a corner, putting his you know, shoulder down and barreling over a defender, but it's still limited. Like if, when you lose your identity of two offensive linemen, Nick Chubb, negative game script, and then you have to try to get back into it. To me, that's where Baker fails and that's where he falters and he cannot do that. And that's also a major differentiator. Then we see with a lot of these other quarterbacks, they soon going to be paid up against in the next few years. And this continues to be a major discussion. And I know I bring it up here every single Sunday, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago, outplayed by Kirk Cousins, despite a win. Last week, not coming down with that two-point, or excuse me, two-minute drill. And then we get here, leading the NFL in fourth down sacks, an airmailed interception, and a fumble that he's just trying to elongate the play because he woke up saying to myself, I'm going to make more plays today than Kyler Murray. He has to work within the structure of the offense. Now, was it going to work if that happened today? Probably not. The Cardinals are still going to win. But there's a lot of question about these Browns at three and three with all the injuries they're dealing with. Yeah, you can't take five sacks in a game. Like, I know the offensive line's tattered and the Cardinals can get after some things with under Vance Joseph, but you can't take five sacks. You can't have that interception that he threw against zone coverage, uh, just a bad pass. So it's just they're. They're limited. Like this team could get hot because they yeah. have the right coaching staff and they do have a lot of dudes out there. But ba- Baker Mayfield's just not that dude. He's a he's a fine starting quarterback, a fine one, but a fine quarterback. You need everything to go perfectly, and that starts up front. And that I think like the big thing for the Browns right now is like, what's the quick passing game offense right now? Like right. everything, it's just play action deep shot. Like it's kind of like the Russell Wilson stuff where you. But Russell Wilson can go create some first downs with his legs, and Baker Mayfield's not going to be doing that too much. So this is – it's a massive NFL storyline, but I don't think it's going to matter that much until we can evaluate it. We need the offensive line back. We need Nick Chubb back. We need Baker Mayfield back, Jarvis Landry. Like, if it's by himself, like, the answer – I think we all know the answer is no. Right. The, the more interesting stuff is, like, okay, when everything else is right, like, what is the ceiling? That's, like, kind of the, the interesting spot. And they've spent so much on that secondary, and at times they were totally lost today. Like, they just completely left DeAndre Hopkins wide open in the back of the end zone. There's a lot of single coverage that A.J. Green torched them for, like, that, you know, securing touchdown to end the game. Uh, whenever Kyler would move around, it just felt like they were communicating incorrectly. And that sucks when you have, you know, Javon Clowney and, and Miles Garrett making some plays, but not all of them. And then just a lot of rotation in the back half. Again, while I'm saying there are concerns right now, I could totally see this team hitting their stride in week yeah. 12, week 13, and week 14 when they get healthier and when they get you know more on the same page. That is absolutely a possibility that I don't want to rule out. Okay. One more game in the 4 o'clock window. I didn't watch a single second of this one, so outline it for me. Where the Las Vegas Raiders also, basically, without their 
old head coach with their new head coach in Basaccia beat the Denver Broncos in Denver, 34 to 24. Hayden, I see just 18 completions for Derek Carr, but 341 passing yards and two touchdowns. Dare I say, first few weeks of the season, vintage Derek Carr in terms of launching the ball down the field? Is that what happened today? Yes, and two of those were to Henry Ruggs, who had two high-pointed catches down the field, and he ended up with three catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. The Broncos came back, and they scratched back in the fourth quarter with 14 points. This game was never close. They went into halftime up 10, the, the Raiders did, and then hung up 14 points in the third quarter. So this game was not close. Josh Jacobs looked pretty good to me. He had a rushing touchdown. They got uh, Kenyon Drake. Ever heard of Kenyon Drake? They gave him a couple looks. He scored an 18-yard rushing touchdown. He also had a nice wheel right or wheel route touchdown as well. But this was just Henry Ruggs making a couple plays, Darren Waller moving the chains consistently, and then Josh Jacobs being able to run out the clock. So this was a more of a a statement win for for Derek Carr and the Raiders' offensive line. There was one play in particular for Josh Jacobs' touchdown where Alex Leatherwood, who they moved into guard, set up a great block. So I wonder if that's going to be one of the, the storylines here is that Alex Leatherwood getting into a position he feels comfortable with. Maybe the offensive line looks bad, uh, better because the last couple of weeks, the Raiders, like we don't really say this too often, but the Raiders' offensive line was becoming a massive problem. And this, that was not the case uh, this week few questions. Did you see any differences in the game plan here other than the usage of Kenyon Drake? Or did it seem like very much a similar thing? And hey, these are the players that we have. They went in these ways and it worked today against actually a defense in a matchup. I wasn't expecting it to work. This was like the blueprint, how the Raiders want to win. They want to have some chunk plays from the first round uh, wide receiver. They want to give Josh Jacobs 16 uh, rushes with the lead and Derek Carr was just kind of picking them apart. And it wasn't like super consistent like Derek Carr was making every single throw but when you have splash play Derek Carr like that's where the ceiling of this offense can kind of click this is just more of an embarrassing loss to Mm. me for Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos I think this was like a game where okay the Broncos aren't contenders maybe they can sneak into the wild card but this team has a lot of issues and I think at top it's certainly with Teddy Bridgewater you can kind of see how some of those first games where everything was just clicking on downfield throws like those downfield throws are also unstable, especially when they're Teddy Bridgewater. And you've never seen Teddy Bridgewater do that. So I think that you're kind of seeing how the offensive line for the Broncos paired with Teddy Bridgewater, paired with all of the wide receiver injuries, how it's starting to catch up with just like off the eye test, the the Broncos kind of like lack some speed. Like there's nothing on the outside of like that threatening outside of like contested catches from Cortland Sutton. Even a negative game script against 17 to 7 at halftime, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon basically split touches equally once yes. again. Uh, like 80 ish total yards for Melvin Gordon, 80 ish total yard or 65 ish total yards for Javante Williams. Um, I The pick em lines were right though. I mean, these people know what they're doing, Hayden. Noah Fant outduels Darren Waller. Now, it wasn't necessary. Obviously, Noah Fant was the one chasing points, but nine receptions, 97 yards, and a score. In fact, all three of the Broncos' pass catchers got home with a touchdown, 94 yards for Cortland Sutton, and 42 yards with Tim Patrick. But again, chasing the scoreboard there with garbage time. passing attempts. With Teddy Lots Bruce. of garbage time for those guys. You want to jump to the 1 o'clock window. Before we do, everyone that is here, I appreciate you, Noah, you, Niners, you, Jay. Be sure 60% of you that check out our content, are not subscribed to this channel. We have fun here. Sunday nights, Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and obviously Sunday morning to fix your lineups and 
said it perfectly. So like and subscribe while you're here. We have plenty more content and shows on the way. I want to jump to Justin Fields' debut against the rival Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. 24-14, the Packers go on to win this game. And I understand I probably should start with the Packers here. Not going to say it was a boring win, Hayden, but it's so expected now with this team where you have Aaron Rodgers just attempt 23 passes, but it goes for 195 yards and two scores. And obviously 89 of those yards on just four catches go to Devontae Adams. What they did with him, because he was being shadowed by Jalen Johnson, tough ask, tough responsibility, a lot was moving to the slot, get him just to completely force Johnson in the wrong direction. And then boom, catch a slant, run after the catch as well. I think we saw a lot of magic from Aaron Jones here that might not be and might not show up in the box score because actually his 12-yard touchdown catch was caught behind the line of scrimmage, forced a bunch of people to miss, made something out of nothing, and you get into the end zone. So while, again, on the box score, and while you might read this week, Hayden, that yes, Aaron Jones had 13 carries and A.J. Dillon had 11 carries, you can add those four receptions to Aaron Jones, and he is still clearly the most talented back on this offense. And I think it's regardless. He might not get 20 touches, but it would be shocking with how narrow this team is for him not to get home each and every week. Yeah, the Packers, we always kind of forget about it, but this is a Shanahan tree offense where they came into this game 24th in neutral pace and then 13th in neutral pass rate. So when they can have a lead and the defense is playing well or they're playing an offense that's really bad, this is how they want to play. They want to only give Aaron Rodgers 23 attempts, let him be efficient, and then get both of their running backs involved here. I saw a couple of those Devontae Adams routes. I mean, like, give me a break. Like, this guy, I think he's in his, like, own tier right now for best receiver in the league. He can do it all. He looks – he said he's gotten faster. He's already one of the smartest, maybe the smartest wide receiver in the game, and he's just, like – he's very fun to watch. It's, like, must-see TV with Devontae Adams right now. And I'm sure you heard Aaron Rodgers walking off the field telling the crowd that I still own you. I still own this. Facts. I mean, stone cold. We need to talk a lot about Justin Fields, though, because Hayden, you know, we had this conversation. We expected them to trail in this game at points. Justin Fields was really impressive to me. And I understand, like, when you look at his stats, you look at the charts, just 16 of 27, 174 yards, one touchdown, and, and one interception. Just what he did throughout the game in terms of allowing it to slow down, have some passes that had, you know, 100 miles per hour on it and others that showed tremendous touch. Like there was this on really their first drive. It was a bad snap on first down. So it ended up being second and 14. They needed a left sided breaking route to Darnell Mooney to pick up about 12 of those yards. So in third and two, third and three, he then gets the ball and floats it beautifully over defender in front of another one in zone coverage straight to Allen Robinson on that same left side of the sideline. And boom, you continue there on a scoring drive for, for a touchdown that ended with Khalil Herbert. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other plays that I can throw out here too. Mainly it's with Justin Fields being able to stand up in this environment, have some responsibility on his shoulders, but still rely on a running game like with Khalil Herbert. And again, it's it's about stacking these types of performances and these types of drives. And so this was, to me, a really strong step in the right direction for Justin Fields and his development. 
yeah, when I went back to watch Justin Fields, like the accuracy and all that stuff is still totally fine with me. You can see how much velocity he has on his on his ball. There was like a, a couple issues with with sacks, and I saw that he has four sacks here. So we'll have to investigate that uh, later in the week. But it is nice to see that the Bears are trying to get this ground game going a little bit. Uh, Khalil Herbert, I saw a couple of highlights from him. Oh, yeah. Awesome cutback for him. Gets up to 97 uh, rushing yards and a touchdown here. So he's going to be the guy if Damian Williams misses another game here. He should be back. Um, but I think that Khalil Herbert's a, a fun little player, and it's good to see that Justin Fields at least we got six carries, 43 yards. I'm not sure how much of those were designed. But the Bears' offense, to have some semblance of a ceiling at all in the second half of the season. You're going to need Justin Fields to have six, seven, eight-plus carries um, so hopefully that's like the next step. Maybe after they come back from their bye, eventually that can be like the next uh, the next step. Yeah, we outlined on the Thursday show really well Cleo Herbert's vision, and he was hitting a bunch of those backside lanes after pressing the front side on a lot of these runs, and he looked great. I mean, he had some chunk gains of, of twenty yards, of twenty five yards, and was picking up difficult, and he got in the end zone as well. Yeah, and Justin Fields was a little more willing to after buying himself some time take off in important situations pick up yards on the ground there were two opportunities though that i think were learning experiences for them there should have been an offsides call for the packers early in this game like there was odd movement up front by the defensive line it looked like they jumped and so justin thought he had a free play and so runs around for a little bit throws it into the end zone and it gets intercepted turns out there was no flag that's the interception on his record and then basically does the exact same thing later on when he tries to throw it out of bounds and by like a centimeter almost throws another interception as well. So again, positive steps with all these rookie quarterbacks. What we got early in the season wasn't great. Positive steps in the right direction here. And yeah, I mean, it's shocking to me. You can lose a talent like David Montgomery and still are able to like implement the game plan that you want to here with uh, Khalil Herbert and Justin Fields. That's good. It's, yeah. It's going to be interesting when Damian comes back versus him versus Khalil Herbert. I, I would say that Khalil Herbert might be better, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to be probably closer to like that 50-50 split. I can um, see that. He's like earning more work. And then the broadcast, and I was listening for a second, they kept saying how the Bears are like sold on Khalil Herbert being a good player. So definitely something to monitor. We were all excited in the first window to witness the Baltimore Ravens and the Los Angeles Chargers, two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Hayden, what we received was a lump of coal in the form of a 34 to six victory, the Ravens over the chargers. How the hell did this happen? Let's start with the chargers offense. I think my biggest takeaway here is how much losing your right guard to a torn ACL and your right tackle to a core surgery, how much that impacts the offense. Like this offensive line coming into the year, we're like, Oh, this is a pretty improved offensive line. Well, their left guards make missing some plays and Mm. storm Norton, their right tackle is getting cooked. And it doesn't show up in the sack, sack numbers because ju- it's Justin Herbert. He can evade the rush, and he is pretty headsy when it comes to who's who's rushing. But it, it's a, starting to affect him. And I think that neither of those guys are expected back for a long time. So that's going to be one the hurdle they're going to have to make. On top, top of that, though, Justin Herbert was just missing throws. Like This was like probably the worst game I've seen from that I could remember. Uh, he had ninth percentile completion percentage over expected for an NFL game. Uh, I think some of that was Mike Williams only ran around on 38% of dropbacks. So we didn't see like the classic Mike Williams uh, production, but simply put Justin Herbert had one of those games where he was stepping back. He was either getting a little bit rushed 
But a lot of those throws were just whew, not nowhere near the the wide receiver. And like that's just part of playing in the NFL. Like you're gonna like good players have bad games, and they had a, a couple of fourth downs early in the game that did not convert. And that was the storyline going into last week. We love to see aggressiveness on fourth downs. This right. was one of the games where just too much press man coverage. Mike Williams wasn't right. The Ravens historically always get after the quarterback. They were able to do that paired with Justin Herbert missing a couple of throws. And this game was donezo really early in the game. few questions. Uh, first one, it certainly felt like as we went through, you know, the first five weeks of the season, no one was better at understanding when to go for it on fourth down and like converting in those moments than the Chargers. I mean, going for it in those situations helped them beat the Browns last week. It has added wins to their totals, but they were also running tremendously hot on passing the ball on third downs and converting that. Is this just like simple regression? Like it was mathematically bound to happen despite the talents that we all believe that the Chargers have in their team. Sure. I also think that there's just like personnel issues with this yeah. team when they're too two offensive linemen on the right side are, are being dubbed and Mike Williams is not out there for every single play. So they're, they're like Jared cook was like getting forced in there. And like the other thing about this offensive line is Donald Parham and Jared cook do not block. Like, right. not like that's the problem with the right tackle spot is like, Oh, just get Jared cook in there. Like, Nope, he's not going to be blocking. He's too old. That's not what he signed up for. And Donald Parham bless his heart. He's not out there uh, blocking too many dudes right now. So it's going to be a, flaw for the Chargers. I don't think it's going to be a fatal flaw though when Mike Williams is back because Justin Herbert's too good and the fourth down aggressiveness is like that's a positive for me. Uh but it does lead you to some games where if it doesn't work early, your team's cooked. But I think that ultimately if you play the averages, it's going to be a net win for the Chargers. This was just like the Ravens just coming out here and kicking ass. Yeah, if I'm just looking at the uh the throwing chart here, it just felt like we couldn't get that vintage downfield throwing ability of Justin Herbert in the past. If this continues, like, again, this is just their second loss of the season, but could we potentially be getting to a point, because I, I, this is a difficult part of, of evaluating football and watching football, of refreshing your stance on teams on the fly, because, like, in your head, you have their best form and sometimes their worst form as well. But with all of these offensive line pieces missing, in some ways it might revert back to him having to be as good under pressure as he was last season. And that's a tall order no matter how talented you are. Yes, but I just think that the, the coaching staff in general is just so much better and sure. he's just more experienced. Um, he's still really young, though. Like I always need to just like recheck myself, not just about the injuries, but just this guy's like really brand brand new to the game. So like we we always keep measuring him next to like Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, when in fact he's a second year guy. So like a game like this should not like be too concerning. Maybe like this is like a weakness where like the Chargers aren't uh, AFC uh, like contenders or they kind of are still, but like not like the front runners next to the Bills. They're like a tier below that. But I think still like it's going to be very positive for the Chargers this year. Healthy, consistent offensive lines are such a differentiator as we go along the season. Speaking of, talk me through the Baltimore Ravens because Lamar Jackson finishes with 167 yards in the air, one touchdown. Two interceptions, 51 yards on the ground. Nothing overly electric or exciting that stands out there, but this seemed to be a dominant once-again season that, when I caught it, Hayden, reminded me a little bit of like the 2019 version of these Ravens. This was just putting pressure on Brandon Staley to adjust his defensive structure, and he never did. 
And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing from Staley. It worked out last week, kind of. The Browns still put up 42 points, but they got a win. This week, the Ravens go out there and have 187 rushing yards and three touchdowns. And real quick, that's uh, Devonta Freeman with 53 yards, Latavius Murray with 44 (laughs) yards, and Le'Veon Bell with 18 yards and a touchdown here. So this is like not uh, J.K. Dobbins breaking off a bunch of plays. This is like just 10-yard gain, 10-yard gain uh, throughout the entire thing. So this is like kind of – is Brandon Staley just going to give up on this? Because right now the Chargers are don't have the defensive line personnel to run this defense. They put Joey Bosa inside a little bit to mm-hmm. kind of maybe change things up. But they're also missing Kenneth Murray, and they're missing one of their defensive tackles on injured reserve too. So this is a team that we know they can run the ball. Brandon Staley said, go for it. At least, Pat, or at least Lamar Jackson is not going to have 335 passing yards. But he forfeited a bunch of uh, rushing production here. So this is... Great win for the Ravens. Uh, was really just dominating from the start. The Chargers were never truly in this game. All three of the retirement home running backs got touchdowns today in Freeman and Latavius and in Le'Veon Bell. A couple more points here. Right beforehand, Cleve Tierra, buddy, tweeted out that the Chargers were missing Nasir Adley, Adderley and Drew Tranquil. Middle of the field wide open. Guess what? Mark Andrews, five receptions, 68 yards and a score. We had an added dimension into this offense as well. One we've been excited to see, Hayden, Rashad Bateman. Six targets, four receptions, 29 yards. 29 yards might not sound like a lot, but Hayden, I also read that all four of his catches resulted in first downs. That is a very meaningful aspect to add on to this very much improved passing game that still remains one of the best in the league. He also won on an in-breaking route and then dropped it. That would have been another first down. You can just tell, like, you're, like, looking at this guy, you're like, okay, tall, lengthy receiver, and he's winning on all these in-breaking, out-breaking routes, slants, and most of the stuff is within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. And if you just look at where this this Ravens team is weakest, they can throw the ball up the seams because they have Mark Andrews. They can throw the ball deep because Lamar Jackson has pretty good touch out there and Marquise Brown's winning like crazy. Like, the, the intermediate and shallow parts on, like, the perimeter sides of the field, that's where they're weakest at. And that's where Rashad Bateman was winning this week. So it's going to be very hard, I think, for Rashad Bateman to be provide any consistency. But I do think that if like the real real life Ravens, this is a massive win. Uh, a couple injury notes on there on them though. Uh, their center he has a back injury now. We don't know what his status is going to be. And then Latavius Murray, I think, had a high ankle sprain. That's mm-hmm. why you got Devonta Freeman and Le'Veon Bell going. Uh, Later in the game, it was Latavius. He had the touchdown the first drive. Then he rolls his ankle, and then the other guys uh, get in there. So um, I think ultimately this is going to be a pass-heavy offense, and this was just a game plan where Brandon Staley dared them. They said, sure, we have Lamar Jackson, and it ended up winning. Get you an offense that can do it all. And the Ravens are showing that they can do it all right now. Let's jump to a roller coaster of the game in the 1 o'clock window. The Minnesota Vikings beat the Carolina Panthers 34-28. to Somehow this game ended up in overtime, despite Sam Darnold only having, I believe, 99 passing yards until his final drive of the fourth quarter as time was running out. But I'll put the negatives to the side right now and focus on the positives because, Hayden, I don't feel like enough people are watching the Vikings at this moment because Kirk Cousins is balling out straight Kirk Cousins is right now 33 of 48, 373 yards and three 
touchdowns today. It could have even been more. He missed Justin Jefferson on a deep post over the middle of the field. That would have added to his totals. But, Hayden, I have, like, so many of these awesome throws written down, but none more that was more impressive than a third and goal as the game was closing. Sprint right, an ISO route to the outside. He throws it so hard and on time that Adam Thielen doesn't even catch it. It hits his helmet in the face. It almost gets lodged in there for the reception as he's laying on the ground. Perfect coverage by the defensive back. But Kirk fits it in this tiny little window straight to his face that he couldn't do anything. It was just natural reaction to catch the football. And there was even like a third and two. And you think, oh, Dalvin Cook's back. Oh, Alexander Madison has is back too and, and has been playing really well the last few weeks. We can just run this and convert it and the game is over. He sees Justin Jefferson out there in isolated coverage, lobs it up to Justin Jefferson along the right sideline for a 26-yard gain. I mean – Kirk Cousins right now is playing, I think, among the top 12 at the position, and it's consistent. Oh, yeah. it's not a roller coaster at the moment. It is very st- steady, and uh, I-, I love seeing this offense operate at this level. Did he want to punch the head coach after they won on this walk-off <laughs> too or not? That's like uh, It was good to see Adam Thielen bounce back, and there oh, yeah. was a lot of buzz about is he falling off. And like maybe probably a little bit because of getting up there in age, but at the same time, Adam Thielen, like you were just saying, his chemistry with Kirk Cousins is just like unmatched. And when the the Vikings feel like they need to pass the ball, they can have these massive games. Like Justin Jefferson's like seems like a walking eight for 80. Uh, but Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson can both have 10 plus catches or catches, touchdowns, the whole thing. So um, th- this offense is like built for fantasy. They got an RB1, doesn't matter which one it is, RB1, Kirk Cousins, like entering like fringe quarterback one conversations. And then these two wide receivers just balling. Dare we say that Kirk Cousins is a tier one quarterback? That's Amazing right. the, the hot run you can go on in the summer you don't even mean to. Uh, yeah, I mean, Adam Thielen 11 catches 126 yards in a score. Justin Jefferson, eight catches, 80 yards. Even KJ Osborne gets the game winning catch for 27 yards, six, 78 in a score himself. And I know this is weird to say. Dalvin Cook had a somewhat quiet 29 carries for 140 <laughs> yards and a touchdown himself. He looked great. There was, it's like really traditional Dalvin Cook stuff when there were little gaps that the offensive line would create, but his like ability at full speed to veer through them and turn through them while still accelerating and running at full speed, it was awesome to see. It was really, really great to see. And uh, I mean, they put the game on Kirk's back and allow him to go out there and put up 48 passing attempts and win this game with 34 points. The Panthers are really injured. Talking about like refreshing where we're at considering this team, we remember how dominant they were in the first two weeks of the season. But now Shaq Thompson's been on the sideline. No J.C. Horn. They're missing a few other pieces along that defense as well. I'm not saying they look slower necessarily, but just they were times in one-on-one, again, perfect coverage, or like a hand would come in and try to swipe away the ball, that these wide receivers were just better. Than yeah. the cornerbacks and the safeties. And so that obviously equal to win. We do need to talk about the Panthers offense too, because talk about a shift. So first play of the game, Sam Darnold throws an interception. First snap held onto the ball, Hayden for 7.19 seconds <laughs> and threw a pick at the end of it. I mean, catch, look left, look right, look middle, run left, run right, throws it to the opposite hash and then Brashad Breeling comes in 
and gets the interception. He was five of 18 for 60 yards at halftime. I don't think that the time already had 69 yards himself. 16 of 20 for 53 passing yards, but they were up on the scoreboard at that point, Hayden. 17 to 12 because of ludicrous block punt for a touchdown and all this mess that happened throughout this game. Now, granted, did he have a drive that started on like their own three-yard line for 97 yards and get them into overtime? Absolutely. But we bring it up every single week. There's this combination of offensive line allowing immediate disruption, but when they block well, still Sam Darnold is being confused by coverages, being confused at where he's supposed to go with the football, and just making awful, awful decisions on throws or taking sacks. And then now there's this added element of drops as well. Rob yes. had a handful. DJ Moore had some. And then Terrace Marshall leaves with a concussion. So when, when Christian McCaffrey's not in there, you're relying on those two players and Robbie and DJ Moore. And Robbie certainly left a lot to be desired today. I had a tweet that I was ready to pull out. He was going to be the ninth player to have nine targets without any uh, receiving yards in the in NFL history. And then he comes out there uh, the last second, gets a, a touchdown to save him. But yeah, he's it seems like he's got the yips. So I don't know what's going on there uh, with, with Robbie Anderson. But like you said, at least if Terrace Marshall's not out there and Christian McCaffrey's not there, you can see how there are ceiling games in his range of outcomes. But if Sam Darnold behind this offensive line is just going to be just a chicken with his head cut off, then it's going to be very inconsistent. I think that for me, I've, I've reset the Panthers. I want the Panthers to be functional enough this year so they can recruit a elite quarterback, quarterback. Yeah. next offseason. Like that's, that's what my goal is for the Panthers this year. I think that's absolutely happening. They're going to be back in the quarterback market. It's something we've talked about even when Sam was playing well, because at some point these quarterbacks are still going to have currency. Even Teddy Bridgewater had currency this offseason after how he played last season. And so they'll be able to trade Sam at some point if they if they do identify someone that they can get. The Robbie thing is so weird to me, Hayden, because last year he transformed his game. He was so consistent. And it's the catch rate. I mean, he caught 70% of the targets headed in his direction last year. He's down to 41% this season. And it's not just these vertical targets that are difficult. He had one along the sideline that he probably should have come down with. It was even those like, Crossing routes that were really successful last season on like third and 10 or second and 10 that they'd get the ball to him five yards and then he'd turn up field and run for an extra five or 10 yards. He just would drop them today. I don't, it's a confidence thing. It truly is. And it's something that I can never explain because I've never played the game, but it's just so obvious that he hasn't had a big game yet. And maybe until he does, we're going to get these floor games and, unusable games from him, even though he gets into the end zone this week. I mean, he went off and my targets are earned league, like just went crazy <laughs> off. <laughs> 11 targets, three receptions, 11 yards and one score. Oh, the, there is going to start being, cause I mean, CMC is out another three weeks. Hey, yes. It's, the, it's, the coaching staff, it's not a weeks. setback. Yeah. Okay. You're putting him on IRs. Awesome. I mean, that is, some level of mismanagement yes. to get here. Some saving him for himself. I think that's how they might want to spin it. It's mismanagement. And this is going to be defined, I think, if Joe Brady's going to get a head coaching job this summer or not, too. It's what they're going to be able to do these next next few weeks because it started off so great, and then now it didn't. 
right. I do want to give quick credit. The Vikings are well coached on defense. They can get yes. after it. Um, we have to track the Pat Pete injury late in the game, but Pat Pete was playing serviceable football on the back end for him too. So I, I understand why this was a bad game. Uh, he takes four sacks. This offensive line is garbage, total garbage for the Panthers. And we know that Zimmer can cook up some things. And so this was pretty predictable on our end, uh, but he has to tighten things up. And we this even in those wins, like you kept mentioning, there were still those two or three Sam Darnold plays that he just cannot shake out. So like, that's just the big storyline like, He's battling for, is he going to be an NFL starter next year too? So like, there's a lot of implications for the Panthers, even if it's not like Super Bowl talk for the Panthers this year too. The Chiefs are back to 500. They're three and three. They win 31 to 13 against the Washington football team. Hayden, it's what we love to see from Patrick Mahomes. 32 completions on 47 attempts, 397, two touchdowns, and yes, two interceptions. But sounds like a great day all around for this team. The Chiefs are averaging 3.1 points per drive. That is by far the best in the NFL. And they have nine turnovers inside their opponent's 40-yard line. Nine inside the, the opponent's. So they're leading the league in all the, the, the scoring despite having terrible luck. There was a Tyreek Hill where he was kind of stumbling out of his break. Tipped ball, interception. McCole Hardman, they get him on an end around. Runs free. Looks like he's going to have an explosive play. Gets the ball poked out of him there too. So a, a really bad – like maybe probably the worst Mahomes throw I've ever seen in his entire life also happened, but there's still another 31 points for the chiefs here and their offensive issues. However, this might be the most overblown storyline. There is, this is an elite offense, probably the best offense in the NFL, even with all these, these turnovers. I don't even know if the chiefs ever are going to punt. It's just like either a touchdown or it's some nonsense touchdown. So like all these guys are just absolute superstars. They even got awful uh, turnover luck in this game, too, with that yeah. ball going through. Was it Tyreek's hands? It was someone's yep. hands. And then it getting intercepted. We need to talk about Darrell Williams, though, because we mentioned that you know running back insurance, backup running backs, absolutely smashed across the board. We talked about with Khalil Herbert. Now into Darrell Williams. 21 carries, 62 yards, two touchdowns, three receptions, 27 yards. Anything of note here? Or was it just a lot of, hey, we're winning? Same exact usage for CEH, and you're getting the end zone and the goal line work now, too. It was basically the Clyde Edwards Alaire role, probably a couple percentage points higher on the snap counts. We used the goal line back. Both of his touchdowns came inside the 10 yard line and then catches a couple passes. So he's going to be a fringe RB1 during the bye weeks, especially week seven, the worst bye week in NFL history. Like they just put every good team on week seven. And then we, like, we kept making jokes like during best ball, we're like, well, what are we going to do here? Uh, so, He's going to be a like fringe RB1. He's got the usage, and the Chiefs' offense, like I said, is like the defense is a whole different discussion. Do not group the defense in with the offense. The yeah. offense is playing like arguably as good as they ever have. They're just getting unluck- unlucky with all these turnovers. I think Bimefor is legit going on a vacation during week seven of the NFL season. I might too. On- <laughs> I might going to go ba- bachelor <laughs> party in Vegas. No, we, we, you've already went on two of those. Uh, yeah, so the conversation without CEH, again, was Darrell Williams versus Jarek McKinnon. I think it ultimately ended up 24 touches for Darrell Williams versus four touches for Jarek McKinnon. I think that that's where we move on from here. On Washington's end, look, just 13 points, 182 yards on 39 passing attempts from Taylor Heineke. I think the biggest news from this, Hayden, is Antonio Gibson because I've seen a lot of Great doctors on Twitter say that, hey, this is a tibia stress fracture for Antonio Gibson. 
it's all about pain control and being able to allow him to get out there on Sundays. But Hayden, it looked like he just hit a wall today and wasn't able to continue. Ron Rivera after the game said, we'll see how he is. We did take him out of the game because he was struggling with it. We'll see how he is tomorrow morning. So I'm sure they're going to get some more tests on him. He left twice in this game, returned, and then left again. And, I mean, I think just it comes down to playing NFL football with a fractured leg is probably easier said than done. So this is a very concerning injury. And of note, um, they're still not getting Jarrett Patterson involved. He had, he had one carry. Obviously, when you're behind in, in, in on the scoreboard, it's going to be J.D. McKissick's season. But I think, like, going back to this offseason, J.D. McKissick said his offseason goal was to put on some more weight so he can be a three-down back if he needs to be. So if J.D. McKissick, and you're like a 10-team league, and J.D. McKissick's on the wire, must pick up. If you can scoop up McKissick in the trade, I would. Because even if this isn't – if Antonio Gibson can go out there and gut out a couple games here, uh, he can still have a setback. And – the Washington also can go the other route and say, all right, these next two games, which is against, I have it written down here, green at Green Bay and at Denver. Then we have our bye week. Maybe we sit them those two games, go into the bye week, give them three weeks to heal. Maybe even sit them the fourth game because the next on the schedule is the freaking Buccaneers. So you're not going to use them anyway. So this could be a rough patch for Antonio Gibson. Um, I would call this a setback. Also a reminder, when coaches are saying, oh, it's just a fractured leg. He's just going to play through it. Like, Call I that call a little imagine. BS. I, I could not imagine playing on a shin that is broken and having to try to run through people and pick. I mean, the OC know. said that it's not that big of a deal. We're managing them. Like, give me a break. On, Scott. These are human beings. Come on. Come on, Scott. Ready to do some rapid fire? Yes. Let's do that. Okay. We got to start with Thursday, uh, Sunday morning. Jacksonville Jaguars get their first one 23 to 20 over the Miami Dolphins. 41 passing attempts for Trevor Lawrence. 319 yards and a touchdown, a beautiful ball over to Marvin Jones in the back right corner of the end zone for 28 yards. Age model be damned. Marvin Jones, seven receptions, 100 yards, and a score on 10 targets. LaVisca Chenault also got 10 targets for 54 yards, but the usage and just in terms of the value of them and where they're being used is so differently because Hayden, this might sound controversial to say, I think there is an argument to be made that moving forward, Jamal Agnew might be more of a featured player in this offense than LaVisca Chanel. I, I get it. Uh, I'm not there yet. I think that they're going to try to get LaVisca. It's just they have so much draft capital tied up to him. But I think like the bigger storyline is just Marvin Jones. Like He had a couple of down weeks. Very strange. I did not understand why his target share dropped. But quick reminder, he's the best receiver on this team for sure with DJ Shark. He's the only person on the team that can win downfield. Agnew's not doing that. Visca's not doing that. Uh, Dan Arnold could kind of stretch the scene, but it's just basically him whenever they uh, need a big play down the field. He, he's a pretty good player. He made another c- couple of contested catches. So I think that you're going to see over the entire course of the season, I think that the fantasy usage model is probably going to call Marvin Jones a, like a boom-bust wide receiver too. I think ultimately you're going to be glad that you have Marvin Jones more times and you're going to be uh, pretty mad about it. Yeah, and especially in best ball when he was drafted as like the wide receiver 51 out there in like the second week of August. He's certainly hitting there. This is so much responsibility for Trevor Lawrence to do. And uh, again, he, he's carrying it and he'll make some mistakes. Today, he did not have any interceptions, which is a step in the right direction too. But that's uh, that's really promising. What about, it's to his return as well, Hayden. And they asked him immediately to throw the football a ton, 47 attempts, 
He was very crisp with 33 completions, 329 yards, two scores, and an interception. The TV angle of the interception looked even worse than it actually was because it misses the defender or the receiver who's open on the sideline, but he underthrew it as well. I think what we realize, at least at how I view the Dolphins, they are one Damian Harris red zone fumble away from being 0-6. And while Brian Flores and his coaching last season allowed them to be in like with Brian Fitzpatrick and Tua, you know, nearly make the playoffs, they have a long way to go. And they don't have their own first round pick to account for it. And their own first round pick might be a top five selection when we reach April. I don't think it's an overreaction to say that the Dolphins rebuild has been like good process, bad results. And a lot of it was just their own doing at the very end. Just their three first round picks, like they're not getting much from their offensive tackle or from their cornerback. They're trying not to play that that speedy uh, cornerback uh, uh, Noah I. And then they played him this week and he got cooked a couple times. So not good. They, the, Eagles are have the Dolphins third overall pick for next year. So lots of stuff going down. I think ultimately this is going to be a team that's going to be desperate and is going to try to make a move probably for Deshaun Watson this offseason. So uh, total loss season. Uh, we'll see what they can get out of Tua. Um, for right now, it's just like Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki underneath, um, yeah. at least until Will Fuller and Devontae Parker get back. Right. And Mike Kosicki still being a huge part of this offense because of, you know, Pass catchers who are out, but maybe not. Maybe he'll just sustain this usage. Well, even they can't run the ball. First two weeks, right? They've yeah, given I up. Mean, they, they have, and, and they should. After Miles Gaskin's receiving game last week, after he fumbled, he split time with Malcolm Brown and Salvin Ahmed in this game. And yeah, Jalen Waddle. I like Jalen Waddle as a player, but in this type of offense, when there's not too much to focus on, when you have a limited quarterback back there, you can, you know, stack or contain exactly how he's going to do well and close on him. And so he gets 10 receptions for 70 yards and two scores. It's about the least exciting. I gotta be honest, man. I, I really like Jalen Waddle too. He's going to be, he's going to be good as a player. Just like I understand the about it. it. just, you spent two first round picks on him, And right now that second one is um, a, a top three pick. So that's like the, it's like a different story like for fantasy for Jalen Waddle himself. I think he's gonna be totally fine especially when the other uh, wide receivers aren't in the mix. But I think just like from the, the Dolphins, from like the front office, you traded a lot. And Devonta Smith was going to be right there. And you can arguably make a case that Jalen Waddle could have been right there. You're the mock draft expert. You n- knew where he was going to land and all that stuff. But I think that this was an unforced error for the Dolphins to trade up. And like you're seeing how quick this can just be turned on your head, uh, especially if the Mac Jones, if the Patriots have something with Mac Jones and the Bills look like a juggernaut moving forward, whew, yeah. it's going to be tough. Or Rashawn Slater could have been there in the teens. Anyways, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, let's ask some questions. Let's ask some questions about the Indianapolis Colts being the Houston Texans 31-3. to three. Uh, They improved to 2-4. and four. The Colts do. And while it's not efficient, Hayden, Carson Wentz is trending in absolutely the right direction right now. Plants his feet, is unleashing some great passes down the field that are incredibly accurate. The touchdown to Mo Alley-Cox. Some other plays to Paris Campbell down the field as well. It hurts that Michael Pittman only saw two receptions for 35 yards here, but it feels like with, you know, Jonathan Taylor getting 14 carries, 145 yards and two scores, this was an outcome that if they could ride up and draw up part of the season, it's exactly who they wanted to be. Yeah. The Texans stink and Jonathan <laughs> Taylor went off in the second half of the game. Uh, injury notes for you. T.Y. Hilton had a couple of good plays down the field. It seems like he's on the injury report with a hamstring injury, and then Paris Campbell also left 
with an injury. So maybe you can see Michael Pittman's target share go back up with a little less target competition. Ultimately, this was just this game was never close, and it was just Jonathan Taylor season in the second half. Yeah, I mean, there were times though that you know people in our circles were nervous about Jonathan Taylor this season. In weeks three through week five, fifty-two touches, four hundred forty-one yards for Jonathan Taylor. Eight and a half yards per touch. And I think that includes week six here as well. I mean, that's incredible stuff. He's he is a tier below Nick Chubb, but they're so reminiscent of each other in terms of their explosiveness yes. and their power combination. It's yep. a lot of fun to watch. Uh, let's now turn to speaking of asking questions. Kind of sounds like Dan Campbell's getting questions about his quarterback. He might move on. There's no one to move on to here. But the Lions lose 34 to 11 to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals. We need to bring Joe Goodberry in the show. Our freaking four and two. I don't remember you know, us getting too excited about this Bengals team, but hey, maybe we should be. This is. I need to look at myself and ask myself, why am I not being more excited about the Bengals? Because today you get three touchdown passes from Joe Burrow and again, a 53-yard reception to Jamar Chase. That connection is extremely efficient and it remains awesome down the field. I think part of the reason why you aren't that excited is because they've beaten the Steelers, the Jaguars, and the Lions, like the Vikings at home. So it, it, this is a, a, a rebuilding team that's like making the right uh, right decisions right now. Jamar Chase just continues out just to ball out. My biggest takeaway here is Joe Mixon, obviously in huge positive game script, gets 18 carries. We kind of projected that. He seemed like his ankle checked out totally fine. But the bigger story is six targets – five receptions, 59 yards, and a touchdown through the air for Joe Mixon. That's that's the difference between RB4 overall Joe Mixon and RB13 overall. If he's going to have the Geo role on top of the Joe Mixon role, that's where he wins. Uh, so I'm not sure if this was just because Samaj P. Ryan was out or if this is going to be a trend. We kind of see like two different stories. The first couple weeks, Joe Mixon had it. Then he kind of got taken away from him. Um, so this is like the one of the biggest storylines for me because – we're desperate for, for running backs, and Joe Mixon has that ceiling that only a couple of guys in the NFL have. And Joe Mixon was awesome in that 40-yard touchdown pass. He's so good. I mean, he's, he's so, so good. good. Chris Evans diving touchdown himself, though, on three receptions and 49. Again, draft athletes. Draft athletes later on. I think both are better than Samaji Piran. Obviously, we knew that about, that about Joe Mixon, but I'm, I'm a big Chris Evans fan. Big Chris yes. Evans fan. Same. Talk about the Rams and the Giants. Another Ooh, blowout. Can I go to the Lions real quick? Just yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Blowout, 42 pass attempts for Jared Goff. It's not going to be too pretty, but TJ Hawkinson can still get you 11 targets, eight receptions, 74 yards. Don't watch the game. Refresh the box score. There's going to be more games like this than there were in those games where the Lions were uh, losing games at, at the wire. You're going to see more games where they're losing by 400 than you're going to see uh, close <laughs> games. So Hawkinson, I think, still is in the conversation for for tight end three moving forward. This is like where I think like the, not the baseline, but this is like, you're going to see a lot of these games. It's so gross. It's I so love gross. it. I love it. The Rams beat the Giants 38 to 11. The Rams are also five and one this season. The Giants one and five. Daniel Jones has played 33 games in his career. He has 33 fumbles in his career. Adds on to it. Three interceptions today here as well. We were excited about Kadarius Tony. We got Kadarius Tony for one series, Hayden, and that series included three targets, three receptions, and 36 yards. Oh, what this day could have been for our boy Tony. Reminder to keep checking the um, warm-ups. There was a couple of B reporters that were watching his warm-ups that were like, 
this ankle is like barely holding on. So I think this is like a good reminder when you get really excited, we kind of just want to ignore some of the, the warning signs. Uh, and if he was healthy, it was clear that he was going to go absolutely nuts again. Uh, but there were some warning signs with Kadarius Tony, with the practice reports and the pregame reports. Um, and just like the Daniel Jones stuff, it's just so tough. You can see some flashes. Uh, I, I believe that Andrew Thomas left with an injury here. They were already devastated with retirements because Joe judges win sprints and then injuries on the offensive line. If you lose Andrew Thomas, who was playing a little bit better this year than last year, uh, it's it's a good night for Daniel Jones. Yeah, and in his return, Sterling Shepard gets 14 targets, 10 receptions, and 76 yards. So it's good to know. I know that they didn't have Tony for the most of the game and you know Kenny Galladay and so on and so forth, but it's good to know that he still has that role in this Hawkinson. <laughs> Rams. I know that they had short fields, but 22 of 28, 251, and four touchdowns here for Matthew Stafford. It wasn't just a Cooper Cup game. It was also a Robert Woods game somewhat. Two catches, 31 yards, and a score for Robert Woods. But, man, it's back on with Cooper Cup as a potential top five, top six scoring wide receiver. And you see him winning all of the field here in the route chart that you can watch us here on YouTube. It's run after catch to the left. It's over outs over the middle of the field. And uh, I just love to see it when this offense is cooking because they have some really, really cool play designs and how they utilize their wide receivers as well. The team that's had the highest increase in average depth of target this year is the Rams. The team with the lowest drop in uh, air yards this year, the the Lions. Or the Rams are up, the Lions are down because of this quarterback change. And you would have never seen this, this route tree as dynamic as it is with Cooper Cup if it was still Jared Goff. So this is just yep. the difference between Stafford and Goff. You see Cup ceiling. We saw Robert Woods ceiling from last week. Ultimately, Cooper Cup's a top five wide receiver. Robert Woods, probably more boom bust, but I think that he'll still settle in um, as a wide receiver too. And, and one of the best offenses in the NFL point blank period. Talk about Daryl Henderson too. 21 carries, 78 yards, and a score. Also added a 25-yard touchdown pass where he had a linebacker on him and, and Tay Crowder fakes a slant, sluggo basically, goes down the field. Perfectly thrown pass, perfect catch as well. Daryl Henderson might be one of those players who writes the narrative of the 2021 season. I believe in full PPR, I don't know about half PPR, but full PPR, J.J. Zacharyson tweeted out that he has yet to score lower than running back 20 in a single week so far. I mean, that is the consistency that you love to see. He had 54 snaps played in this game, so did Michelle just 12. He's the RB one. They want to get. They want to make him the bell cow. So M- Michelle's going to uh, sprinkle in best ball storyline. Though I cannot wait to see the research on win rates of Daryl Henderson versus in the sixth round versus the twelfth round. I wonder if it's going to be the same win rate and it's just like he was oh. a smash smash at no matter where you got got him. Like a huge game theory thing is halfway through best ball mania too. What were you doing with Daryl Henderson? Are you drafting him? Are you not? Because like obviously he had these upside, but you were competing against the teams that had him in the twelfth round. We'll see. Like this is like the we haven't had a as pure of a test case Love as it. this because I think that we all if we were just ranking Darrell Henderson, we would have had him as like what RB fourteen coming into this year. But I think in a lot of the best ball rankings, particularly for best ball mania two, he was closer to like RB twenty two because of that game theory stuff. So we're gonna see uh, who was ultimately right there. Yeah, and obviously this is just the second year of best ball mania. 
but it's so different than the first year because of preseason games and injuries that took place. Maybe the closest study in, in year one was Antonio Gibson, but this one's going to be, like you said, a very pure version of that. And I think we'll dictate a lot of that conversation as we move forward into next summer's contest yep. as well. I think that's it for the games. I think we hit all of them. Just cycle it. through them real quick. I think we did it. All of you, thank you as always for being here. Sorry for the late show. It's overtime. Scampers, Round, Niners, Casey, Zachary, always appreciate you all being in the chat, having great conversations with us, liking and subscribing, because we're back here on Tuesday with our favorite show of the week, Hayden. Film, data, handshake in the middle to find that awesome, actionable information to help you win moving forward, like Khalil Herbert, like a whole bunch of that goodness, so we can, you know, fill our wallets every single Sunday as well. Anything you'd like to say before we get out of here, Hayden? You survived our worst show of the week. Let's get pumped for the best show of the week next Tuesday. <laughs> Appreciate y'all. Thank you for uh, allowing us to hit 6,000 YouTube subscribers on the way to 10,000 very, very soon. And if you're into NBA content, we have our first NBA content on the site this week coming up as well. Worldwide Bob, a few others. We're doing multiple live shows this week. So again, if you're in the NBA, launches this week on the channel. And that's going to be a ton of fun. I can't wait to see us explode and go straight to Jupiter. So, for Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the villa still. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>